1: Hey guys, certification roundup time. Um, You know, I'm always preaching, go a little deeper in your practice and take some certifications. So I wanted to let you know, this year we have added so many more. But like usual, we have our teacher training, which is a great certification if you want to deepen your practice or you are looking to teach. We have Reiki certification at all levels. Our sound certification has been added. So if you want to learn how to play the bowls, that's for you. Akashic records, both basic and advanced. And intuitive healing, which is always one of our more popular ones that we run a few times a year. Crystal certification being added and a tarot reading certification. So please, if you're interested, go to denmeditation.com, go to certifications, check out the schedule, or you can email denteachertraining at denmeditation.com and we can answer any questions you have as well. But here's some good news. If you don't live in L.A. or you don't have the time to like come in at our schedule, a few of these are already on our denanywhere.com site and you can do them at your own leisure. So go to denanywhere.com, check out what we have there and we're always adding as well. So I hope you join us this year and get certified. Hi guys. Um, welcome to Dentalks Live. Oh my God, it's so fun doing these. I love this one. I feel like there's a good vibe in here tonight. I can just feel it. So thank you for that. Um, so tonight is about soulmates. And just to give you guys a rundown again, just in case you didn't know, it's kind of like the plane. If you're going somewhere else, you might leave. And <laughs> um, just, you know, we always do this. We're going to start with a beautiful meditation from Ryan. We will do a Q&A at the end. So get those questions ready. There's only so much I can ask. And I know you guys all have dying, you know, questions that you want to ask. And these are brilliant people. So please get them ready. And then we always like to gather afterwards and we'll have some light bites and drinks and a chance to, like, talk to each other some more. But I'm so excited to have this conversation because I do feel like it's one of those that just has mystery around it. We were talking about it earlier. I mean, no one really truly knows the answers, right? So it's going to be great to kind of pick these brains that all come from very different perspectives. And then again, I'm sure we'll hear some of your perspectives as you ask questions. So let me introduce these awesome people, Ryan Weiss, who I feel like we go too often for our relationship questions here at the den. He also has a relationship workshop on denanywhere.com. He's a spiritual coach right? you You make people's lives better. He's a spiritual advisor, a life coach, and he's just awesome. And if anyone didn't hear, we were just talking about earlier, too, when we did the panel on sex, that was a great panel, and he was awesome in that. So please listen to it. yeah, we have just, by the way, all these people have done episodes, so please go back and listen to all of their episodes on Dentalks. Jill Willard, an intuitive, a medium, been featured on Goop, Mind Body Green, Women's Health. So excited to have you here. And also a dear friend, Catherine Woodward Thomas, whose episode was very early in our, I was so nervous to interview you, by the way, because she's like one of the smartest people. She's ep- a sage. And she's such a sage. And I remember, and even though we were friends, I was like, I've got to know my shit. Like, I really felt like I had to be so prepared. Her episode is fantastic, too. New York Times bestselling author of Conscious Uncoupling. And calling in the one. So we are so lucky to have, yeah, right? And so we are lucky to have all of these beautiful people here. So I'm going to start with the most basic question, which is, and we'll just go in order. Oh, yeah, sorry. See, this is why Ryan's here, you guys. Let's start with the meditation. (laughs) Thank God he's running the show, I think you need it. (laughs) And I think I need it. So Ryan, please, will you lead us in a meditation?
2: Sure. Hi, everyone. So if you feel comfortable to close your eyes, you are welcome to, no need to. Just taking a moment to be exactly where we are right now. You may take a couple of deep inhales and exhales. You may notice where there's any tension and just bring some relaxation into those places. You may notice the activity that's going on in your mind. Just bring some attention to it. And for just a few moments, we're going to let ourselves be exactly where we are, embracing things exactly as they are rather than trying to be where we want to be or where we think we should be allowing ourselves to have a practice of being here now letting things be as they are without attaching to the need to change them. Let's all take a deep breath together. And let it go. Let's do that again. Deep breath in. And let it go. Third time, all together, deep, 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 deep breath. Breathe in as much air as you can. Fill yourself from the inside. Hold this breath just for a moment. Feel yourself full. And let it go. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. What if you could sink, or drop, into this moment, what would that feel like? And what if this moment is here to hold you? To cradle you safely? How would you let yourself relax if you knew that this moment that life is holding you, seeing you as a gift, seeing you as absolutely perfect and seeing you as the miracle that you are? How would you let yourself relax, drop your defenses, and let yourself be exactly as you are? And we'll let ourselves sit in this moment in silence for about a minute. let's take one collective deep breath and sigh everything out. (sighs) Take a moment to open yourself to receive the love that's so clearly here in this room, the support, the openness, the curiosity, the creativity. Let yourself receive this collective energy. And let yourself feel that you too are here to give, to give of your love, of your kindness, of your curiosity. May this evening serve the highest good of all of us here. And so it is. Let's take one more deep breath in and let it go. And slowly, as you're ready, just blinking your eyes open and coming back into the room.
1: Am I supposed to ask questions, (laughs) now? That was beautiful. Thank you. Um, So I'm going to start with just a very basic question for all of you that we can take turns. Do you believe in soulmates? And if you do, what is your definition of a soulmate? Ryan. (sighs) Okay. I know it's hard after a meditation.
2: (laughs) So, yeah, I I certainly believe in the idea of soulmates. I don't know that I believe in a soulmate, Um, but I'm a student of a text called A Course in Miracles. Um, A Course in Miracles says every relationship is an assignment which to me means that the energy of life, God, divinity, creation, is doing the assigning. And to me, those assignments are our soulmates. And the course also teaches that the purpose of relationship is for our mutual healing. And so you're showing up in my life to mirror things that maybe I don't want to see, but it's time for me to heal and vice versa, and we're going to move through this together. And so I think soulmates show up as coworkers and friends and my dogs are certainly my soulmates (laughs) and my partner. And uh, so yes, I believe in soulmates. What do I think about them? I think that they're probably the most important thing that we have on this earth for our growth.
1: Amazing. Jill, do you believe in them? And if you do, what's your definition? Hello,
3: everyone. I, I do believe in soulmates, and I loved your definition, The Course in Miracles. Um, that said, I feel we also have choice in the matter of where we are and where, what we're centered in, and then what we're bringing in in our soulmates. So we can bring in kinder soulmates, I believe. We can bring in mates that not just see what we need to work on, but also all the good stuff and the joy and celebration. So I think we often bring in our energy matches of where we are, and that becomes our soul mate at the time. To clarify soul, the way soul comes in in the readings I do, and please, we can believe whatever we wish. Souls aren't one soul and one soul and one soul. Soul is all of nature and more the all, more like air or universal energy is in us. There's not, the universe isn't out there. We're part of the universe. So I just want to clarify that it's also bringing it in and up in the joy of all the love. And not so much just about the pleasure, which is more in the lower regions of our primalness or brain. So just to bring it up, and then the of love can be our soulmates in this wholeness that's so beautiful and of whole love.
1: Great. Catherine?
4: Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you, Jill.
3: And Ryan, thank you.
4: Um, <coughs> As we're talking, I'm just having a new thought. So I've never actually shared this thought before. <laughs> so let me see if I can articulate it. And I just want to acknowledge that during the meditation, I was really clear that um, that I not only believe in a soul mate I, I, or soul mates, um, I believe in soul tribes. And I think that you've created a soul tribe and that we're all here together inside of that way that we're woven together. So I just wanted to, um, thank you for that. And, um, but the thought is, 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 you know, I work with people helping them to call in love into their lives. And a lot of the, a lot of what people do is they create lists of, you know, what we want in a partner. We want them to be successful and we want them to be vegan and they have to (laughs) meditate. And you know, we can get very detailed about these lists <laughs> that we think that we want. And I think that a soulmate is different than an ego mate. <laughs> and that's what I just want to say. Okay, so so when we're talking about soulmates, we're talking about in the context, the larger context of the evolution of relationship. And it's occurring to me, this is a thought that's new. It's occurring to me, wow, we live in this really privileged time where we can even ask that question. Because just in the last 50 or 60 years, what's happened in the landscape of relationship is we've gone from a role-based relationship to the ideal of a soul-based relationship. And if you were born 500 years ago and you met somebody that you had that connection with, you didn't necessarily have the freedom to pursue that connection. So I just really wanted to appreciate the
1: privilege that it
4: is to actually have this conversation.
1: Well, that's actually really interesting. Do you feel like, because people are really obsessed with the idea of soulmates in some ways. It's a very you know hot topic. So on that note, do you feel like that's something that's... Newer Or do you feel like it's just something that's allowed to be more explored?
4: Well, from from a, you know, the optimistic perspective, we say, yeah, that's new. that's like what we're up to is creating these very soulful, deep unions. It's pushing on us to grow because when you had a role-based relationship, you know, you just had to have a job and know how to bathe every day so you didn't stink, <laughs> <laughs> basically, in order to it. keep your partner, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's what our grandmothers were looking for, somebody who, like, smelled okay and had a job and didn't drink too much. You know? <laughs> High
2: standards. High standards. <laughs>
4: But, you know, and then, but then you start wanting, like, you know, well, they have to know their feelings, they have to be self-aware, they have to be self-responsible, they have to have an abundance consciousness, they have to know when they're running their crap, so that, you know, so I'm not, like, meeting their mother through them for the first time, like, you, you know, like, this. these are very high-level things that we want from people, so it's pushing on us to really grow um, so that's the optimistic perspective is, yeah, it's, it's actually kind of the, the frontier of, of growth. It's like, who do we need to be in order to have that level of depth and hold that level of complexity? On the, on the less optimistic side, it's the recognition that in our culture today, loneliness is the number one health problem. And so there's this deep hunger for connection which I think is even more acute in LA, yeah. um, you know, I've worked as I worked as a therapist for in private practice for years. So person after person after person after person,
1: just coming in and talking, which is why I'm so grateful for what you've created too. So on that note, again, when you were doing the therapy, do you feel like the people that were coming in with loneliness? Were they all single? Or were a lot of them in relationships?
4: Well, that's a good question. I think, well, most of the people who I was seeing were single, but that might be because I wrote Calling in the One, <laughs> and I was known for that. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'd be the, the right person to
1: ask that. Of.
2: So uh, well, and I can speak to that with quite a few of the people that I coach who are, I coach plenty of people who are in long-term relationships that are incredibly lonely and have a great divide with their partner and have a hard time really expressing their emotions, their needs, have a hard time healing and really letting themselves be seen by their partner. And that, to me, can be maybe even more alienating or more isolating than being single.
1: Because you feel like this should not be how I'm feeling. So on that note, for all of you, what do you feel like the difference of a soulmate and a life partner is? And is one necessarily better than the other? start with you.
2: Yeah, so to me, the soulmate part is kind of that, like, initial, what Catherine was just talking about, that moment when you see someone, it's like, something's happening inside of me, and it's like, a, there's a physical thing that happened, an emotional, a spiritual thing that happens. To me, that doesn't always mean that you've met your life partner, because um, you could be, a, you could have this incredible connection with somebody, and... Then, in terms of life partnership, I want to, me personally, I want to be with somebody who's done the work, who's ready to be at those levels of consciousness. They don't have to be perfect, but I want to at least know that I'm with somebody who's done quite a bit of their attachment work and is aware of their wounds as they come up and knows how to communicate and and um, is willing to work on communication and is in some kind of therapy now that's my personal preference <laughs> and I found someone who is those things and so in terms of life partnership, we have been able to navigate the sticky things, the dark things, the part me personally I'm somebody who, because of my own childhood trauma, have a really hard time that m- believing that my darker sides my complexities, my addictions, can actually be seen in the light and loved. I have a really hard time believing that. And so I get to be in this relationship with this partner who makes a really safe space for that to be shown. And for me personally, if I can't show those things, then I hide them. They don't go away. I hi- I learned as a closeted homosexual for my whole life how to hide really well <laughs> and I will manipulate out of uh, the fuck out of <laughs> that hiding. I'm really good at it like in a scary way sometimes. And so to have well f- so for me to be able to do the work on that I have to bring it forward and to have to be in a partnership where those things can be seen. And it's not always easy, but for me that part of that to me is what creates i look at this partnership and who knows what will happen in the future but i see the ability to spend my life with this person and so i guess to sum it all up the soul connection is that thing that we feel but that doesn't we have free will in this world we have some relative choice about how we do the work and how we develop ourselves and what we put into ourselves and older Ryan, more codependent, anxious Ryan, was willing to be in relationships with people that um, wanted to be in relationship with me but maybe weren't necessarily the people that I was gonna be able to do the best work with. Um, That to me is a life partner, is someone who is ready to meet me on the playing field and like, I'm gonna stay in the room with you and we're gonna work through this stuff together and I'm gonna love you through it.
1: Love that, Jill. Don't you think that's a soulmate though? Well, is it? I mean, that's the question. Yeah.
3: Well, no. well, I believe that a life partner needs to be a soulmate. I do, but I don't believe a soulmate is always a life partner for life. It can be for a period of time, because um, like we were talking about as well, where are you when you meet certain people and why? They might remind you of a mom or a dad or an old relationship or what you wish to be, but if, not, if you're not quite the same energy, you might not last for your whole life, but they could be a great love that makes sense. But I'll also say that I really believe the body knows. We're full of senses and sensory. We've got our main senses and then all multisensory. We're all very intuitive. And if we touch base in all the parts of us, we'll know if I think the person in front of us can be the one. And sometimes if we get out of our head or just evenly be in our head, evenly checking with our heart, evenly be in our body, the body knows there's that old adage, which I firmly believe, because I used to see this a lot as an intuitive in my own life, and I was closeted as a, as a psychic, so I get it. We really could manipulate back in the day. <laughs> we really could use our magic powers, and it didn't always, wasn't always so good. It wasn't coming from a whole place. Um, but I will say, you know, if you walk into a bar or a restaurant, you can know who the one is with their back turned to you. Your body knows. A part of your brain knows So can we get into the whole brain again and not just the critical mind brain, not in the trauma parts of the brain, not in the memory part in the brain alone? Can we bring all of us to where we are, walking down the street, bar, restaurant, and then from there, your mate will come in and walk with you. Sorry to touch you. Sorry to (laughs) partner. Permission granted. Right? Touch the great shirt. Consent granted. The great shirt we love. Um, but also you brought up a beautiful point, making sure that you are seen and heard and you can be seen and heard um, is really important, that the person's listening to you and you feel safe and that you're doing the same for them. Right? You can be open and you're safe, and your wholeness is okay to be that in the space.
4: Beautiful. I really appreciate your presencing that and uh, this level of just comfort that's just kind of organic to the connection. But Tal, your question is should your life mate be your soulmate? What's your how are you asking it's the question? What's
1: the difference between a soulmate and a life partner? Yeah. And is one necessarily better than the other? Okay. So, so one, other. Or one there does one have to be the other.
4: Well, I think we're always making choices. And I don't I don't necessarily think that we always make the choice to make our life mate our soulmate. I think that, you know, sometimes if you want to have a baby and somebody really lovely comes into your life and is willing to have that baby with you and marriage looks like a good option, we sometimes choose that. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad choice. I think that that could be a good choice at times for people. So I like to, you know, just remind us that we're constantly creating our lives, but I will say that it can be very inconvenient to have made that choice and then meet your soulmate. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes.
4: (laughs) So Bruce Lipton, you guys know who Bruce Lipton is. Mm -hmm. I'm in a group with Bruce, and Bruce is married to his soulmate. And so when I was in my single years, because I got married, you know, and then I called, in, I called in the one. I wrote the book, calling in the one. And then after a decade, we got unmarried, and I wrote Conscious Uncoupling. And then there was times where I was single for a few years, and I'd see Bruce once a year, and he'd always say to me, "Don't compromise, don't settle, wait, wait." And I really heard him. Because I think that when we're not having that connection, we sometimes make ourselves wrong for it. You know, we think, what's wrong with me? I'm too picky. And I don't want to, you know, like maybe we are too picky. But <laughs> that's probably true too. But but I think because when you meet your soulmate, they're not a perfect person by any means. And by the way, nor are you. So, um, but I uh, I have just met. My mm. the next one. I've just called in the next one. <laughs> and, and I did wait. And I'm so grateful I did. Oh, you know? he's here. When too. it's right, it's right. He's here too. Yep. When it's right, it's can right.
2: Can I ask a question? Can I take that? Please. <laughs> you had a I want to talk on it, but I just want to listen to Catherine talk, anyways. Um, can you talk about a little? So I hear you saying, you know, J- just wait. Bruce Lipton saying, just wait. And I imagine that a lot of people in the waiting wait with a relative energy of anxiety. Can you talk a little bit about like how you energetically wait? Yeah. Like what is, How do you, while you're waiting to call in the one?
4: It's hard for all of us when we're in the process of creating something that we've never quite had yeah. to really hold the high watch that this is even possible. And it's very easy to go into non-possibility. Which is why I really, you know, when I wrote "Calling in the One," I wrote it to do with a circle of friends, because particularly dating is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) Dating can be very (laughs) challenging, especially in today, where we kind of get into the 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 objectification mode, where relation people are like a commodity, and this whole concept of like people are a marketplace, or you have to quote unquote market yourself. So, um, which is, you know, a very, very hard on the heart and, um, and there's a lot of disappointment that can happen in putting yourself out there and really being willing to show up. So um, we all need people to really hold the high watch and to support us during that process. So right before I called in Michael, um, and here I am, I have thousands of students who have like done Calling in the One. I'm like, you know, the the, the the big queen about how to do this. But I was really pressed, hard pressed to hold possibility for myself. I'm like over 60, Who you know, I'm so well known. How much pressure is that on a first date? Oh, she wrote Calling in the One. I mean, I have people- and, and conscious uncoupling. conscious uncoupling, right. <laughs> That's the more fierce one. I know, I agree. <laughs> You're a
1: hard first date. <laughs>
4: I mean, I she had knows people say really crappy things to me. Like one guy who's like starts rubbing my feet, who I think is in another relationship. When we're talking, we're on the couch. He's picks up my foot. He starts rubbing my feet, and I said, "Look," um, and I'm confused because I think he has a girlfriend. I said, "So what should I make this mean?" He says, "Oh, oh, I'm not the next one. Oh no, I'm not the one. I'm not the one." <laughs> You're like, then
1: lay off yeah. the feet. So
4: I had a lot of reasons why it wasn't for me. But here's the thing. Anybody who's going through it, I, I at this point, I know we all have at least 10 reasons. You know, like, oh, but I have this kid, or I have this debt, or I have, you know, this health issue, or I have, you know, whatever it is, or I'm this age, or you have, but you haven't seen my thighs, or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know like whatever it is. So you know, now I know to not pay any attention to any of that stuff. It's just, it's just a state of non-possibility. So what I did this time is I called up a friend at one point. And actually, when I called in Michael, because, you know, we're weaving the future all the time. So we do that with our words, with our actions, with our choices. So you put a future out there, you know, to, f- to find the one, to be in a great relationship, and then you start navigating your way to that Future one step at a time, and uh, so how I chose to do like a, a vision board in music because I'm a singer songwriter. So I was working with anyone know the Corin Brothers? You guys know the Corin Brothers? Anyway, I did a CD with the Corin Brothers. I got really fortunate, and they wrote music for me. And and what I did is I wrote the uh, relationship into existence with the lyrics. And so I called up Isaac Corin one day and I said, I'm really stopped. I can't write this song about the having of love. This is me calling in the one queen. Thousands of students. <laughs> I can't write it. I don't believe it's possible. And so we talked for a while and he got me into possibility. It was so funny because at one point, you know, I got into possibility. And possibility feels light, right? Like you're in possibility. It feels like, oh, the Red Sea just parted. Everything's light. I can do this. And... Um, and then, and, then, and then I go, oh, yeah, but then this thing happened when I was four. He said, no, wrong direction, wrong yeah. direction, stop, stop, abort, abort. So I got it, and I just stayed in possibility. I wrote this beautiful song, the opening lyric, sitting by the fire on a Saturday night, reading David White by the flickering light, I look up and you're smiling. And I met Michael, and he didn't know this lyric or this song, but within three weeks he sent me a David White poem.
1: Amazing, right?
4: Magic. there's like there is magic and synergy when you when you meet when it's right. So
1: well, let's talk about the what. How do you know when you meet a soulmate? How do you know? Jill, you're smiling. Go ahead.
3: (laughs) I love talking about this. (laughs) Well, I think I feel we know on the levels of what we want to call it. Like there's possibility or there's joy, excitement. But and I will say on a physical element we know on an emotional feeling or energy in motion we know on a mental or intellectual way which can be listening or sharing and agreeing and non-agreeing we know and then on spiritual or we say spiritual means connection which some of you know I teach in the brain and that's really up here like in an nth factor like there's a lot of magic or things you can't describe why you're sinking or the all the synchronicities or if you believe in God or nature or mediumship all this and help that is on earth and friendships that your friends really enjoy them and they enjoy how happy you are how joyful you are you know family does it doesn't have to be everyone because sometimes they say check and intent why it could be someone that is in love with you who says we don't like them or a family member a friend who isn't in their soulmate capacity so there's envy and that which is okay So a lot of times we teach intention and offering is very important. So we tend to a lot of times say my intent is I want a soulmate, but bring them in or have he or she or they come in instead of like, well, what are we showing up as? Which I think we each talk a lot about. What's the joy and love or vibration in us? And then you'll get a match that's whole, that's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and not a lack anywhere because even if you disagree or you don't like something, it's really okay. You love them anyway. You're not overthinking it. There is an adage, though, that a dear family friend's mom said, and I don't know if she's here if Lowe's here, but her mom used to say, if you don't like their nose at the beginning, you're not going to like it months and years in. So if there is something, I would early on be like, why? Maybe it reminds you of something energetically, and you can remove that old trauma or memory. But maybe you really don't. But I will say back to earlier, too, you will love their scent You will like sleeping next to them. You'll like holding their hand. You'll like looking into their eyes. The body does know. We're so intellectual now, we're way too intellectual. We're far too critical. Critical mind is overstimulated and over-intel. I need them to be all these things, especially in this city, because we're so external. And we teach a lot that the left brain's external or more masculine, non-gender, just more physical, mental. Right brain is more energy and motion and connection. So if you have both sides of you going, everything's gonna be great, and when it's not, you're gonna work through it and lubricate and work out from there very well. So it works, and your body, mind, spirit, soul is all for it, and it's great.
2: I'd also jump into this a little bit different way in, because I'm like seeing the people that I've known, and I've been one of these people who it's like, I know I've met my soulmate. This was
1: literally my next question. Really? Yep, you're on.
2: Okay. It's like, I know I've met my soulmate. Like I'm thinking about one friend who like ran over to my house who used to live next door to me and like ran in and was like, I met my soulmate. I met my soulmate. And I was like, calm down, <laughs> calm down. Calm down, what is going on with you? Ultimately, it was not his soulmate. <laughs> and ultimately, I don't think the person ever called him again, actually. When you, it's wonderful to feel an incredible connection with somebody. We are so quick, I can speak for myself, and this is, we can talk about attachment, and that is really my field because I had to do a lot, a lot of healing work on that. Um, so quick to attach and lose ourselves in that connection. So if I was to go a little bit into the Course of Miracles realm, this idea that there's something missing in here, that I'm not a full, whole, and complete person, and that there's one special person out there, who's going to complete me. And when I meet that person and when they love me, then I'm going to be able to love myself. And so then I'm existing in this realm where I'm always looking for somebody to complete me, right? Which is never actually possible. And so I will always sabotage that process. And so when we meet somebody and we have that big reaction, I would say just take your time. It's like, um, oh God, what's her name? Who... She used to do the weekly lectures on relationships. Yeah, Pat, Pat. Pat Allen. Pat Allen. Dr. Pat Allen. She would always say, date three people at a time. Date, always date three people. So
1: now it's The Bachelor. I disagree right? with
2: that. <laughs> Here's the reason why she said this, is because if you're somebody who's really quick at attachment, it's really good to not put all your pressure on one person. So I see this all the time in dating. It's like, I met the person and and I'm really intense about it and my whole life, my focus, my thoughts become about that person. And so, to have a more balanced approach of, I met someone really, really special and I really, really like them and I'm really, really interested to see where this is gonna go. And I'm fine if it goes the direction I want it to go and I'm also gonna be fine and heartbroken and upset if it doesn't go the direction that I want it to go but I'm gonna be okay too. And if this isn't the one, it's preparing me for the one. And I think that's really important that we not get so early, quickly attached to this is my person, because that can set us up for quite a hangover on the other side.
1: I love that, because I was gonna ask the question which you basically answered, and I'd be curious if you guys have it, how do you differentiate the feelings of just that adrenaline rush of people who just get so excited when they start dating someone versus what you guys are talking about, you feel it in your body, of meeting a soulmate. And that's kind of what you're talking about, but like so is cuz you everyone keeps saying you feel it in your body, but you feel that adrenaline in your body too, which is why a lot of people dive head first go. Ahead.
3: Well, this is still part of your body, mm-hmm. you know, and I believe or I think science proves it finally that the gut is connected to your vagus nerve, which is connected to parts of your brain. So I think there's a lot to it. If you're feeling too much adrenaline, you're usually in fight or flight or thinking too much about it or in critical part or intellect, like we talked about, or intellect. And are you coming from old wounds? So I think you can be very excited for those. Has everyone here been in love? I mean, from like zero or one to, right? I actually think it's incredible good feeling and not a lot of logic comes in, at least at the beginning. But I, I agree, if it's if it's a lot of adrenaline, just also to check with yourself or find, let's breathe. Let's see this clearly. Let's get our faculties back together. Because if it's coming from too much of that, that's usually coming from a place of more fight or flight or old memory or old attachment or it reminds you of an old relationship that might not be healthy. But if you're connected to that part and then your heart and nervous system and then the front of your mind, which I really believe connects us to a lot of support and synchronicity and drawing in family and friends and kind of the balance of things, then, then you're fine, even with some adrenaline going. Um, and maybe someone just needs to hug and you know, get in there and say, okay, I hear you, but let's come down. But love is so good, and it's so exponential that sometimes I think we talk it down too much and we rip it apart, and then sometimes we're relying too much on it, from that, and it's not coming from a whole healthy place.
2: One sentence I'd like to throw in there is, maybe one thing that would be helpful in the process is um, when we start getting into the mind of like, I've found the one, also am I remembering that I'm the one? That Just that constant check of, am I remembering my worth, my value, my love, that I'm actually the one?
4: I just want to put in a little plug for character as well. (laughs) (laughs) Expand. Yeah, because look, I think we can meet someone that we have this soul contract with, that is uh, a soulmate. We have this depth connection. But we all have choices in our life about whether or not we're going to grow our character into a place and become a person who's trustworthy with someone else's heart. Mm. And you might meet someone that you, you know have all that resonance with, but if they haven't developed their character, that's quite, a, that's quite a dangerous combination, actually. And what Ryan is talking about is holding on to I am, I, fidelity to myself, fidelity to my own integrity, and to have developed yourself enough to be able to actually set boundaries or even decline getting involved with someone when you see evidence of you know so you know all the stuff that now you know we're we're on the lookout with with narcissism a lack of empathy self-absorption over you know overly uh, entitled all of this kind of behavior that's nothing to skip over because we're idealizing a soul connection.
3: And
2: can I, can I jump soul. to that really quick? That's no soul in that. Yeah. That's not a soul. And then the the quick piece that i piggyback on that with is, and I might have said this in the last panel because I think this is so important and in relationships. To say it. <laughs> but I'm it's really good, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, we speak we use words to express who we really want to be in the world. Our actions show who we really are capable of being. Do we get that? I can say to you, kind of what what Catherine's talking about in character, when somebody hasn't built their character yet, there's a lack of integrity, meaning their words don't match their actions. And so I can sit in front of you and tell you who I think I am and what I want and what we're gonna do together, and how we're gonna move together, and grow together, and build together, and and it doesn't necessarily mean that my actions are gonna be aligned with my words. Follow the actions, because actions are who somebody's actually capable of being right now. Words are an expression of who somebody really wants to be. Hopefully, those two things are in alignment Can with I the person add? that you're with.
3: That's brilliantly said, because we talk a lot about in energy centers, I am is your root. I feel can be right here where pleasure is. We talked about the love earlier, but here's the worth, or I will, or I act. So really see how do they, how does another act, and how do I act in that moment as well is so key. And we teach a lot about um, energy centers, as some of you know, and that third energy center can come into maturity about age 14 to 21. And it's no accident that we tend to get married after age 18, So if someone is older and not in that, that's okay. Get them back in their worth or their fire. Or why are we in our worth? Because of old attachment most of the time. Without blame to mom or dad or early memories or childhood. But how do you clear that out so you're in your own worth and I will and I act. And then your mate will be the same in the way they act and they will.
1: like going off of that, what you guys all said, and you all said it earlier that you can have multiple soulmates, and a lot of you said they're here to teach you something. So could that person that you're all referring to, this you know, person whose character quite isn't there yet, be a soulmate? Like, What if that's your lesson in the moment you have to learn? Could that person, too, be a soulmate, just maybe not the soulmate that should be your life partner?
2: There is a wonderful story that I love to share, and I wish I ne- I've Googled, I've tried to find it, maybe one of you will know. And it's the story of a realm of souls that are ready to come into embodiment, into bodies. And if you ima- imagine like an amphitheater, massive theater, and on the stage, let's call it God's main angel, we'll call it the angel. And the angel is on stage and says, May I use you as an example? Okay. So, perfect. Well, you're actually going to be a soul. I'm actually the angel right now. Thank you very much.
3: (laughs) You be the angel. Okay.
2: (laughs) So, I, as the angel, say to this sea of souls, Jill, as a soul, is ready to come into a body. She's going to go down to earth. And I say, Who here loves Jill? And a bunch of people or a bunch of souls raise their hands and I say, beautiful, you will be her mother, you will be her father, you will be her first grade teacher, you will be her best friend, and so on and so forth. And then the angel says, who here loves Jill the most, 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 most? And one soul raises its hand and the angel says, you will be Jill's worst enemy in this life. For you will teach Jill the most what she has to learn in this lifetime. And so, I don't think of the, I th- again, I, I use, I would replace for me the word soulmate with these relationship assignments. And that people do absolutely come into our lives to show us what it is that we need to see. And so, it's not always the person I'm going to spend my life with. Sometimes it's the person that is needing me, coming in right now, this is a big one in my coaching. Sometimes the people or the things, or the opportunity that come into our lives, are coming so that we can exercise, as Catherine said, how to say no, how to own our own worth, and say thank you so much, and this is not where my life is going.
1: I love that story too because I feel like we all know there's such a fine line between love and hate. It's this, It's an energy. I mean, they both have that same energy, and it is so interesting how just one change of perspective can change how you look at someone. And so that person, like you said, can be the soulmate coming from what we perceive as anger or hate or not right, but it really is coming from love and trying to teach you something.
2: I can also say, like, I would not have been ready for Ori if it not had been for Riley and Arthur and all the other people (laughs) that I've dated in my past. These people were not... Actually, this woman received (laughs) me in a pile of tears as I walked into Marianne Williamson's apartment for a meeting... After the day, the moment that I found out that my ex had been cheating on me, and I walked in, of course, can you believe my life? I was held by this one and Marianne (laughs) for for healing. (laughs) But if if it wasn't for him, and if it wasn't for that experience, and all the other people that I've dated on my path, there's no way I could be ready for what I'm in now. So those people are my soulmates to me.
1: So on that note, too, coming from, and I know you don't believe in multiple lives, so... but I do
3: want to say one thing on this, because I think okay. we're forgetting soulmates are of love. It's not just lessons or teachers or hate. I think soulmates are really of love. So we just we don't want to forget that. Because in energy centers and in intuitive work, the way it shows it is, um, like and fear, or we, I don't believe love and fear are in the same place, or love and hate. It's, that's down here. That's in polarity and in binary thinking. But love is all... Love. So just want us to remember soulmate is a good thing and being in love and having
1: one partner if you're gonna choose one partner is a good thing, not just Well then on that note, when you're with a soulmate, does that mean So I think it's where you are and where your choices are. But because we're moment. human and we're learning, what happens when you're with your soulmate and it doesn't work? I don't out? think that's soulmate. Th- and that's that's
4: <laughs> what in conscious uncoupling call I go going from soulmate to soul hate. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that that's an attachment phenomenon. It's attachment. It's attachment. It's an attachment. It's attachment. attachment. But, well, what, but, but what I mean by that is that nature has kind of designed us to stay connected. And to heal, I think, too, right? It's a different point. Okay. So nature has, so if, uh, like, a thousand years ago, if we wandered away from our tribe, we would likely die. So when we have a breakup, we feel like we're going to die. And nature has kind of hardwired us to stay connected. I mean, actually, what's happening in the brain when somebody rejects us is that our bodies get flooded with hormones that make us fall in love even more. And we all know that's true,
1: right? I mean, seriously. Oh, because we've all been the friend on the other side, where all of a sudden the stories are like, "But oh my god!" But it's and because it's amazing. nature
4: wants us to run after that person. So these are biological impulses that were hardwired to stay together. So I think the soul hate, where we start to hate the person that we loved, is really kind of a trick of nature to keep us bonded with that person because it's just as engaged.
1: Right, it's energy.
4: It's just as engaged. We're thinking about them just as much, with just as much energy. So it is the flip side of that. But it's really an attachment phenomenon. So, what conscious uncoupling is an offering of is how do we have a breakup that's in alignment with our ethic of love? How do we do that? If this is happening in our bodies and in our brains, how do we actually do this in a way that isn't going to do great damage to ourselves and to others? Because we all know that when we get ourselves all crazy, you know, around our big emotions in a breakup that we're liable to do things that are hurtful and we're liable to set karma in motion that we and our kids if we have them are going to live with the consequences sometimes for years to come. So conscious uncoupling is a way to hold that to go deeper to to you know but but forgiveness is not the first step. Forgiveness is the last part of the process. There's a whole process that we need to go through about how to actually hold ourselves from depth take responsibility for our 3% because you know we always blame the other person. So I'm not going to get into an argument about that because people behave badly at the end of love. So, yeah. so what? what's our 3%? Because then we want to graduate. You know what? I gave my power away to that person. I gave my power away. This is exactly where I did. I looked to them to tell me if I was okay or not, as opposed to became self-defined. And you know what the amends is and the growth? I'll never betray myself like that again. I'll always ask the right questions. I'll always uh, stand up for myself. I'll always listen to my own knowing. I knew this. On the first date, I knew this. I skipped right over it. I talked myself out of my knowing. You know, there's always that. Right. So we have some work to do inside of ourselves to kind of be
1: able to process that through and not get stuck in the hatred. But can that be a soulmate, though that you are consciously breaking up with?: Yeah, I think
4: you know we have a myth that, that, that it's time to start to really examine, which is this happily ever-after story that we all kind of covertly hold ourselves and each other accountable to, that that's what true love. Would look like, and um, and if you know, if you if you actually de- really do some research on happily ever after, you find out that it it was only born four hundred years ago. It's not like God made the mountains, God made the sun, God made us to live happily ever after. Human beings have partnered with each other in many different forms, over you know, over the thousands of years that we've been on planet Earth. And there's kind of endless creativity about how to do that, how to form, how to belong to each other, how to raise children, how to how to survive and how to thrive together. But Happily Ever After was actually, you know, these, these myths come out of social constructs of the day, like what's happening. Any paradigm comes out of really the problems and the breakdowns of the time. So 400 years ago in Venice, Italy, which is where Happily Ever After was born, Still the romance capital of the world. But where it was, what, what was happening is that people were born into great, great suffering and poverty. And they had no hope of ever getting out of poverty. And they were practically starving. And as a matter of fact, the lifespan was under 40 because people were, half the children were dying before the age of 16. It's just 400 years ago in Venice, Italy. And there was a noble class, and those people seemed to have everything. And they had a, you know, their children survived, and they had wealth. And so what happened is that this one gentleman created this form of literature, which is really escapist at the time. About, And there was a law in the books that a noble person could not marry a commoner. It was against the law. So he came up with this form of literature where a commoner, would meet and marry up and meet this noble person and then all would live happily ever after. And it went like wildfire through the whole Venice, Italy, and then through Europe, and they refined it and refined it. And now and the love match only took root about two hundred years ago. And so now we've kind of married. Happily ever after with love as though it's like God made the mountains, God made the sun, God made this one person for me to live happily ever after. What our community is doing is we're broadening the definition of love. And we're actually really looking at love that's even beyond form. So if a relationship ends before one or both people die, we're actually kind of reinventing this. We're saying no. You know, I don't get a pass on behaving badly. I get to do my work. I get to show up with integrity with who I am and who I came here to be. And we're up to learning how to do conscious closure so that people are left well and not broken.
1: Off of that note, I'd be curious for you two, and Jill, will jump in also, but in your work, when you see clients, where do you feel like this notion of soulmates, and you've talked about it a little bit, gets in the way? Where do you think it's more of a hindrance than this idea of hope?
4: Well, I think our I, I think our, our ideals, um, and and kind of the way I think like we 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 kind of we confuse these kind of um, societal constructs. Like upward mobility that's inherent to the happily ever after myth with a soulmate. And so we kind of begin to infuse this almost like it's going to be the answer to all of my problems. And I think that gets in the way, you know, and where you're kind of, and where people are waiting to start to live our lives. I remember for years, you know, like when I was in my 30s and singles, my apartment was really empty. I didn't really nurture my home because I was just kind of waiting until I got partnered. Like, then I'd have a home, right? So this kind of ideal and all that we're putting onto that person, I think that's a hindrance because now we understand that it's not so much about, you know, finding someone. It's about being the right person, being the one, and 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 filling our you know planting a garden where we are and blooming where planted and that's how that person ends up organically finding us and us them.
2: Yes. <laughs> 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 <coughs> I had a, a someone who I was saying somebody that I worked with I was, and I was saying that uh, they asked me what I was doing over the weekend and I said. Um, gonna go on a hike and we're gonna go to the farmer's market and we're probably gonna go to the movies and this person said to me, God, I just wish I had a boyfriend so that I could do all those things with him. And I was like, so when was the last time you went on a hike? This person said, God, it's probably been years. I was like, farmer's market? Yeah, I don't know the last time I went to the farmer's market. I said, where the hell do you think you're gonna meet the person who wants to go to the hike and the farmer's market? You need, to, you need to live your life in the way that you enjoy, recognize all there is to enjoy, fulfill yourself, fulfill your needs. Guess what happens? Your light turns on and then this person that you don't even notice is noticing you is watching you enjoy the hike and the farmer's market and whatever it is or the dance class or whatever and now suddenly gets to be attracted to you but they don't get to be attracted to you when you're not in that sense of fulfillment, when you're not doing the things that you want to do. And I've been that person too. It's like, I'll be happy when? I'll be happy when I have the relationship, and then we have our combined incomes, and we buy the house, and da-da-da, and we did. (laughs) And it's like, my happiness is not dependent on, it, it really feels like our happiness or our Sense of fulfillment is dependent on when this happens, this happens. It feels very real in our experience. It's just not, though. That's just not the truth. I can curate. I can facilitate a life for myself. I may have to move through some stuff before I start really feeling it. But I can, f- independent of things, right? It's, I'm thinking about this Tom Shadyac documentary called I Am. Did you ever see that documentary he made like f- 12, 15 years ago? There was a gentleman in it who was talking about how it takes very little stuff that can actually make somebody happy. That it takes a roof, a bed with a blanket, and some food. And things beyond that actually do not bring relative happiness. And so if I have my basic needs met, which hopefully everyone in this room does, then it's up to me from that point on to curate for myself, to really ask the question, what do I love? What brings me to life? And if I'm in that space and in that energy, I'm super attractive.
1: So on that note, it's, you know, and we, you guys have all been kind of talking about it a little bit. How What is, clearly self-love is very important in this entire thing. So let's all talk about that a little bit more because then I want to go to you and you're all kind of talking about this vibration as well, especially you. But can you expand a little bit more on just this idea of self-love and then I want to hear from all of you. Like soulmates are out there clearly from what you're saying. They're all out there. You have many of them. They'll come into your life but you're going to attract the one that's right for you in that moment that's going to be best for you based on where you're at. So can you talk a little bit more about how important it is to really... Can I just say first? one thing about Please.
4: that too? It's, it's also we have to remember that relationships are not fixed. So it's not like you're going to meet somebody and then what the dynamic is between you is kind of a done deal. Exactly. Okay. So <laughs> w- what we're doing during that in between time when we're holding the high watch and you know staying in possibility to generate the future is preparing for the relationship. We're, we're doing our healing work. We're, um, we're making our, uh, we're, we're growing our relationship skills beyond what we were taught as children. We're, a, we're students of healthy love. We're students of healthy attachment. Because when we meet that person, it, there's kind of a spectrum of what's gonna get generated.
1: Right, and I love that right. too, because the other pitfall I could see is people thinking a soulmate is quote unquote perfect and therefore not allowing any room for anything that might not fit in someone's point of view of what perfect or perfection is, which is not living up to your side of a relationship or or providing what you can provide for your partner. So I, I love what you're saying. Can I add, too, if you're
3: hiking or going to the farmer's market, too, even if you don't meet them there, you might be at a bar later or Air One or Starbucks with the same glow or just you start talking and you're like, I was just on a hike and they said I'm going tomorrow or I was just on one. So generating a lot of synchronicity or your energy will then attract like even if it's not in the moment as well. So it's a win-win-win because you enjoyed your hike, enjoyed your farmer's market, and you still will then attract. And I do believe you can manifest or bring in a favorite soulmate that is perfect for you. I do. I think you can. And it doesn't mean love is perfect but you're in it and you feel whole and seen and heard and then you're in it together and that I think often you can see that right away if you're in joy and love and you've done your work to clear the old stuff and then that can pull you through a lot of things as well. You pick up a beautiful soulmate comes in We'll talk about that
1: a little more like if you're saying you can choose and bring in the more perfect soulmate for you. We'll talk about that a little more. Well I just think I think some of us think
3: differently, so I don't want to be confusing
1: when we're saying different
3: ways or counter cross out what someone else is saying. So I'd be very aware of that. Um, but I do believe if you evolve into your maturity and do your work to clear what we're all saying and make choices in your day of what you'd want with your soulmate for yourself and for your soulmate, because then eventually if you choose to grow a family or grow a community of friendships or go out to dinner with other friends or couples, you want it to be of joy. So when you find that joy within, you will get that joy without, I mean outside of you. and then it's just joy and it's love and it's pleasure and peace. And a lot of people talk about that you know up on a hill as a monk or this or that, but you can have it here now in this present moment, and it's wonderful and it's whole. And even if there's something hard that comes up as we flow and grow, I love the growth mindset. So I love you mentioned that you know there's fixed mindset and growth. Mindset, you grow more together, you see it through, which I think in the older generations, I think actually above our parents' generation, because I think the baby boomers in our generation are pretty messed up about love. We're pretty entitled. We haven't seen a lot of war. We really are tight on people. We do not have a lot of forgiveness. They need to be all these things, right? So if we can kind of get in the joy of the simplicity, which you beautifully said as well, you're going to attract it, and it's the nth factor, and it's so good, and it keeps growing. Even when you argue, you see it through because there's a space of love and wholeness and connection that's deeper, or higher, or full, or whatever you believe. And you see it through. And you also notice when we're mirroring one another, which parts of our brain are meant for, when it's true love, you're going to see yourself through those eyes and go, oh my gosh, I actually, I don't even know if I'm ready for this great love. And then I'm actually seeing where my faults are. But instead of projecting it on the person as the mirror, say, thank you for the reflection and I have some work to do. So, how to be in that maturity. And our brains are met for it by the time we're 17, 18 and older, and 25, truly, I think adulthood begins, or what we think when our brain is whole. So give yourself credit and get up in there. And we teach the rainbow and energy centers, just get in balance, whatever that means, if it's six steps, seven steps, every color of the rainbow, for those of you that know chakras or energy centers, or in, in religion, stages of life. So get to know the stages, even if you don't like a religion. It could be the 12-step program, which is brilliant. Get to know the different aspects of the growth so you can see how to be more whole and then it's so joyous and then it's joyful and even childbirth can be joyful or parenting can be joyful even when it's shitty it will pass sooner because you'll also track the joy or the right doctor or the right herbal care or the right Juiced Air One you know it'll be there because you're in this joy vibration you're going to get it back and life gets easier even when it's quote tough so.
1: do you have anything else you want to add to that so Are there exercises or anything practical people can do to start getting more into themselves and more, you know, self-love and present? Is there anything people can take away in that? Because, I mean, that's so much of what I'm hearing is, like, you can call in the one all you want, but if you haven't, you know, called in yourself, it's not going to happen.
2: So I'd say twofold for me and... There's probably a thousand different ways that this can be answered and that I could probably talk about this for a couple days if you want to get your sleeping bags out. <laughs> but um, um, the, I would call, you know, one, like a, a spiritual practice. So one for me of just probably everything you've heard, a gajillion people say this, and there's a reason because it's powerful. Just waking up in the morning and when you wake up and your mind comes online, what you choose or unconsciously don't choose in that moment is really important. And so I do like to just take a moment to feel my breath and move into gratitude and just kind of let my mind start, because I am. we are aware that our minds evolved with a really strong negativity bias. It's a part of our evolution of how the brain has developed over time. So we're really good at seeing all the things that are missing in our life. And I think that has, especially when we're looking for the one and we're single, we really don't want to find them, there's a really strong tendency to notice all the things that are wrong with me or wrong with my life or not attractive about me or we talked about that laundry list before. Waking up in the morning and just start training the mind. Like I said before, if you have a roof over your head and you have warm blankets on your body and you have water running in the sink and you can pay for the food that you have today, you're doing a lot better than a vast majority of people on this planet. Not that we should be grateful because we're doing better than others, but we should have some awareness of looking at our gifts and being aware, just training the mind to seeing actually how supported I am. And when I start training my mind to to, to see how supported I am, I start seeing more and more and more of it, right? I may see it just in the fact that I'm walking outside and I'm taking a breath and For the first time in a long time, I might realize, wow, what a freaking miracle it is that there's this invisible intelligence called air that I can breathe and it feeds my brain. And with the brain, I can think. And then with the brain, I can speak, move muscles in my body and move air and I can speak. And that can, that sound can enter into your brain and you can have a calm, right? We start being aware, wow, I'm so much more supported than I ever really let myself realize that I am. I'm deserving of love, right? That's one thing as in terms of a spiritual practice. If I'm only doing that though, which we see a lot, <laughs> there's like the spiritual bypass, spiritual narcissism thing that's really popular <laughs> right now. Yes. Um, that can be a real spiritual bypass. The second thing I would say is we've got to learn as a society that we are safe to feel our feelings. And a lot of us were raised in situations where we didn't have not not because they were wrong or bad, but because they were where they were at, right? In the same sentence, I can realize that my folks kind of messed me up and that they were doing the best they could and that it still messed me up, right? Not a blame game. I was like to preface that because it can get a, a little triggering, but we didn't, a lot of us didn't necessarily have folks. I know for myself, I was raised by two parents who had who experienced severe, severe childhood trauma, but were of a generation where we didn't, They didn't really know that was a thing that needed to get worked through. And so my folks were just, I love them so much and I have so much respect for them. But when I was a little young child, they didn't have the emotional ability to attune to all of my needs. And so I never really had the opportunity to learn... That I'm safe to feel my feelings, and I never had a parent really sit with me and and hold me and say, "Tell me about what you're feeling, right?" And tell me, um, tell me more about that. Instead, I probably heard of a lot of, "You know, you're, you're fine. It's all you're fine. There's nothing to worry about." Or, "Stop crying. Let's go. You know, you have nothing to worry about. Whatever it was." And so, for me, I've had to go through a lot of years of practice of learning how to feel my feelings. Tara Brock, if you're familiar with her work, talks, she, if you look up rain, if you looked up Tara Brock's rain work, it, if you've seen a good therapist, that's what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so rain is when you notice that you're having an emotion, a, a feeling, a, um, a sh- uh, the, an event happens and you have a, I call it the fire that happens inside of me. I might not be sure what I'm feeling yet, but there's something happening. Like I got the text, or we get into a fight, or there's something happening. Rain. So first is recognize. Recognize. Oh my God, I'm having a moment. I'm having a moment. I recognize, and no, I'm no longer in the moment. Now I start to be able to watch the moment. A allow. I allow myself to feel this feeling. I allow myself to be in this experience. What we normally do is the feeling is so uncomfortable that where do we deliver the experience to? Our thoughts. And we think about our feelings, and we go into the story, and I'm feeling this because he did this or she did this, and that means that this, and this is what it means about me. And I'm now in this story thinking that I'm feeling my feelings, but I'm not really feeling my feelings. Therefore, the energy that's trying to move through me doesn't get to come up and come out. And I'm just really re-traumatizing myself in that moment. Yeah? So allow, I allow myself to be where I am. I allow myself to hold this feeling right now. I investigate, R-A-I, investigate. Ask it some questions. What's going on right now? Where does this come from? Have I felt this before? What am I believing about myself in this moment? And then N, which I think needs to be, is in all of these things, is nurture. Nurture yourself as if you had the mother or the father when you were having these emotional reactions who scooped you up and said, feel exactly how you want to feel. The cool thing is we're all adults now. So one of the things that I have been realizing about myself is when I have these big emotional reactions in my relationship, or it could be with anything, I have this emotional reaction and I don't process it. And so it's like I'm giving... I'm allowing my three-year-old, who's having this big emotional reaction, to be in charge of the moment. I don't want my three-year-old to try to have a conversation with my partner about what's going on with our taxes. Not a good idea, right? But my three-year-old's like freaking out. So instead, now the 35-year-old man, if I allow myself to reign, if I allow myself to feel my feelings, become aware of what's going on, investigate and nurture myself, my 35-year-old steps in and can hold my three-year-old and say, I got this. I got you. And just that process of starting to allow myself to feel my feelings, I don't even remember your initial question now. But it's just perfect. <laughs> self-love. 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 Oh, so to me, <laughs> okay. self-love is a double practice. And again, there's a rainbow of different ways that we can talk about this. But having this spiritual practice of elevating our consciousness, connecting to nature... Recognizing who we are, becoming aware that we're a fucking miracle, and also learning how to feel our feelings and not avoiding the things that we don't want to feel.
4: I think self-love is the most critical conversation, and uh, and I and I think you know we would do well to talk about it for two days. Really, um, what I want to say as offer as an exercise is. Um, is uh, one of the exercises that I have in the book Calling in the One is to uh, write a letter to yourself from your soulmate. Like all the things you yearn that person to, you yearn to hear from that person. I see you. I love you. I pledge myself to you. I will do everything in my power to create happiness for you, to create healing for you, to create joy in your life, right? All of these things that one would hope to hear during a wedding ceremony. Just let yourself really connect that that person from the future is coming to you and writing it and start with your name. Dear Catherine, this is my pledge to you. And when you finish your letter then you read it to yourself and you pledge those things to you because our relationships with, e- with others can't be better than our relationship with ourselves. It has to start with the pledge to ourselves, with a stand that we take to go to the wall for ourselves and for some of us that's going to be more of a commitment than anyone has ever made to you, including your
1: parents.
2: I just want to underline, tattoo, score, like that sentence, the relationship I have with another can never be better than the one I have with myself. The relationship I have with myself sets the quota for how good all my other relationships can be.
1: How often do your clients get stuck on that part? I would think that would actually be a lot harder for people because as they start doing it, they realize how much they aren't giving themselves that.
4: Well, yeah. It's, I mean, a lot of calling in the one, one of the, one of the premises of calling in the one is that when you change your relationship with yourself, your external relationships will organically begin to shift. And another exercise I have is to begin to differentiate healthy needs from unhealthy needs. Because a lot of us, we kind of intuitively know that there's we're walking around that with wounds that get triggered when we get into any kind of... It's not intimacy that triggers us. It's actually the feeling of dependency, which is healthy. You know, interdependence is how we're designed. So when we start to get close to people, we start to feel a dependency need come up, and that's what creates the anxiety for us. Because if we didn't have dependable... You know, caregivers in our background, that's a source of anxiety. So then, what we'll do is we'll just not have any needs. I'm fine. I'm going to just be low maintenance. No, it's cool. Okay, you can cancel at the last minute. I'm I'm evolved. I'm spiritual. No, no, I'm cool. Wherever you want to go, I'm good. because we're, we're just trying to not have any needs. So we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. But all healthy relationships, it's very clear that there are certain needs that we need to fulfill for each other. We all need to feel heard. We need to feel valued. We need to feel safe. We need to feel um, that our feelings and needs matter to the other person. Like, we, these, are, these are viable needs. So actually to start to differentiate what are your healthy needs and to claim those as worthy of consideration, as viable, and then to begin to take your own needs seriously. So start to even notice on a physical level, what do I need right now? Well, I haven't eaten for 10 hours. Maybe I need some food. Or I'm actually tired. I need to go home early tonight. Or you start to notice what you need on an emotional level. I think I need to just stop working and call a friend because I could use a break. I need a break. I need to connect with somebody. And then to actually prioritize that, to begin to honor your own needs because that is then creating health in your own relationship with yourself which becomes the foundation for creating that with another person. Did you want to say something?
3: I would just say, also, let yourself be loved by another. So let love in and let people love you. Because I think we don't realize that a lot of times, especially in our culture, we don't let ourselves be loved. So that's an important thing. And that was very close to what you said about the different ways to do that. And then we talk a lot about interdependence is the same. Inter, not codependence, but interdependence up here is the same as marriage or love a fourth energy center or just a maturity you know some people think it's marriage and religion but it's kind of a a step along the way that's a beautiful whole step and once you're self-actualized or you're feeling whole then you can be interdependent if you're feeling whole or you're whole and self-regulate and take care of your needs and let others also help take care of you because that's a form of intimacy then the other person will be whole and do the same out of love and wholeness not out of the Codependency—you complete me. I need that. No undercurrent um, trickery of, I say I'm giving, doing this for love, but it's really because I depend on you or codepend. It's an interdependent wholeness that really comes in our adult life, and to really know that you're doing that for yourself as well, but you're also letting yourself be loved, letting yourself be touched. We're really big right now, including in LA, about the self thing, which I get. But let another human, we're mammals, we're animals, we're highly evolved, extraordinary, extraordinary humans and mammals as well. Let yourself be touched, really important for your nervous system, by another human. Um, it's really important as well. I think it's, sorry, go ahead. No, keep going. I was going to say quick exercise would be to look at yourself in the mirror and quiet meditation, silent meditation, not just always listening to one of us or someone else quiet, listen to your own breathing, something internal. If you can't do that, some music that's slow and hopefully can be based on rhythmic, it can be Beethoven and symphony-esque, it can be chakra-esque, it could be sound bowl-esque. But quiet, internal is really important for us.
1: Please. I think that's interesting because you both touched on it, but because it can be confusing for people, the idea of self-love, be able to be on your own, do your own self, but we need interdependence. We but do. I think you just said something which is interesting. Of you have to look at it almost like a ladder of spiritual growth, which or is or a circle as well. Yes, or a circle. A but it's yeah. like you're not. You can't get to the interdependence, which is so important to us, until you satisfy the first part. Needs. Is that, I just. Want, yeah. Well, yeah. I want to expand I, on that
3: I a think, little bit. I
2: think you know, in this in this moment in time where we're having a lot of conversation about codependency, because we're having also in this big conversation about narcissism is a really simple way to define codependency, because it can be a bit of an obscure topic, is if you're not okay, I'm not okay. And so this self-love work is about creating a foundation inside of ourselves where I can stand on a foundation, and, when, and if you're not okay, I can still feel within myself that I'm okay. And then, because of that, I don't feel a need to fix you. I don't feel a need for you to be different in order for me to feel okay. And this is stuff that, you know, if you start doing... I I really think trauma-informed psychology is really the next wave of the most powerful combination of... Really, the blend between spirituality and therapy in this field of trauma-informed psychology. If you notice that you're somebody who has a really hard time with this kind of codependency, which, by the way, in our world, people who show up to these kinds of things, more often than not, um, we're not narcissists, typically. It happens. It can happen. um, But one of the things about narcissism is narcissists aren't aware that they have things they have to work on. (laughs) It's everybody else's fault. I'm the center of the universe, and you're here to serve me and be my supply. And so if you're somebody who notices that you either tend to attract that kind of avoidance or that kind of narcissism, or that you have a really hard time letting people be in their stuff. Um, Doing some trauma-informed work, there's an incredible place in Tennessee, right outside of Nashville, called Onsite. They're a trauma-informed experiential therapy center. I go every year, it's like my clearing moment, where I sit in the student seat. I mean, I do therapy all year long, but this is my like deep cleaning of my stuff.
1: Emotional enema.
2: My emotional enema. <laughs> and it's hard work, but it, I, the work they're doing there, you take kind of a week off of your life, and it will make... A, it, to have the awareness of really connecting how my childhood created and set up my relationship around attachment, to me, is the most profound thing that, I've ever done
1: let's do your four you's I'm going to ask quick questions for each of you to just go down the line we're going to do four of them Um, number one thing you want you looked for or want out of a romantic relationship just one thing number one number one number one for you
2: Mm. integrity
1: okay you eye contact she said eye contact eye contact (laughs) (laughs) presence Mm -hmm. similar Okay, number one thing you want out of a friendship. Integrity. <laughs> <laughs> Kindness. Support. The number one thing you've learned about yourself from a reflection of someone else.
2: You me cry. <laughs> um, that I deserve love and belonging.
1: That's beautiful. That I am here. Mm. My value love these you guys the number one thing you learned here tonight
2: can you skip me I want to think about it
3: Jill I feel we need to heal the heart be more in the heart
4: um just how sweet it is to gather for conversations that
1: matter
2: And I'd say along those lines, how many of us are in the same boat. Hmm. Sometimes it feels like we're so separate and alone in that, but we're all dealing, swimming the same upstream.
1: You're getting cheered by... You guys, I I can't thank you enough for, we're gonna do a Q and A, but I just wanna thank you guys so much for just your brilliance, your intelligence, your openness, (laughs) so awesome. And I have a question. We're all a little curious, so I have a question for you guys. Who here is looking for their soulmate? All right, will you guys all just stand up for a second and just look around? Everyone stand up. Yay. Just stand up, because we're talking ones. about it. You're at the farmer's Woo-hoo! market right now, right? Come on. And just look around. Woo-hoo! A, just so you know you're not alone for that alone. It's amazing. See the different vibrations out there. Make friends or just possibly see. Who knows? But... Awesome, so thank you guys. Outrageous. You may sit, <laughs> thank you guys again. So we're gonna start Q and A, we'll pass around a mic. Um, who, anybody wants to lead us off? Do you think there has to be agreement um, for someone to be qualified as a soulmate? Like if I meet someone and I feel like they're my soulmate, but they don't feel the same way about me, does that mean that they aren't? take Anyone?
2: It's up to you. If you feel that they're your soulmate, they might not be your life partner because it's probably important to have buy-in for both people. <laughs> But if you feel a powerful connection with them, to love yourself in that and to honor that that that's how you feel, and to be able to stand in that, even in the knowing that they don't feel the same way, that requires an amount of self-love that's courageous.
4: One of my favorite sayings is, love is unconditional, but relationships are not. And I study people who have secure attachment because I had such toxic patterns for so many years, a lot of pain and suffering and a lot of confusion about questions like this. And one of the things that I know about people who have secure attachment is they monitor their investment in people. So you can have this experience like, whoa, this is, this is th- my soulmate. And then if it's not reciprocated, the healthy response is then to surrender that to life and say thank you for that experience, and I'm waiting to open my heart, my bed, my body, my life to somebody who recognizes me and is giving to, has, has much to give.
1: Thank you. I concur. <laughs> Great. Well, we'll go right here, and then thanks, Nicole. Hi. Thanks, guys. Um, so
5: I think I've um, I've had a the last couple of longer relationships for a while ago, and I think they were just so horrible that I got really jaded, and then I wanted to stay away from people. And so then a lot of people around me that kept falling in love and they'd be like, oh my God, I'm in my soulmate. And I'm like, yeah, right. He's going to turn into a freak in like two months and then you're <laughs> going to be, you know, so I think there's a part of me that really is like, I'm traumatized to where, and it's better because I've done nothing but work on on this, like every in every which way, like you guys were talking about, just like really working on myself and being my very best partner for myself. That's where I've been at. But I still feel there's a little piece of me that is like, a little jaded when i hear like when i see my friends like falling in and out of love so much i'm just like that's whack you're like it's going to last like 3 minutes and then usually it does it lasts like 3 minutes so i don't know there's just a little i don't know how to heal that part that little piece
4: that's still a little bit jaded yeah, To say about that so i think it's so understandable and my guess is is that the people you're talking about really did behave quite badly is that Badly, badly, right? So I think it's important for us to hold the complexity of really honoring the suffering that we've had when we go to take self-responsibility. But it's the recognition, what actually sets us free from that level of victimization um, is self-responsibility. It's a very adult thing. But to really be in an inquiry like, you know, you know, how did I give my power away? Mm-hmm. What uh, what self-betrayal was happening? If they lied to you, how was I lying to myself? Mm-hmm. Because when you start to ask yourself those questions, then you can graduate from that. And you graduate from the dynamic. You have to know that this could never happen to you again. So the issue is, you're not open to relationship not because you don't trust them, but because you don't trust you. That's great, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: You can give yourself Thanks. another word for soulmate if sometimes words are loaded because friends use them or you hear them. Soulmate can be a loaded word or some words we use in our culture can be loaded. So sometimes when you're healing, also give yourself another term to mm-hmm. kind of move through into that love. Thank you. Yeah. yeah.
1: That gave us a lot to think about by the way, and I mean, you heard it in her voice when she said, it's a very adult thing to do, and you could all hear it, because even you felt the weight of how hard that actually is. what
4: it is, is that we go into blame and shame of ourselves. If I go to ask, like, well, how was I the source? Oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Like, you know, like, what the F is wrong with me is not empowered self-reflection,
1: Can you give people different wording on how to do powerful self-reflection? Because I do think that is yeah, what people like go where, to.
4: Okay, where did I give my power away and what motivated me to do that? And is that really Can you guys true? all write that and down? And is that really true? Because what motivated I didn't think I could do something or I didn't think I was good enough. Is that actually true? What's actually true? What might be more true? What else might be true? What am I getting out of it? See, a lot of us will give our power away because we don't want to be... You know, you have to tell on yourself. Maybe I don't want to be responsible for my own life.
1: Let's sit with that one for a second, too. Maybe I don't want to be responsible for my own life. That's
4: the co-narcissist position, right? Oh, the narcissist just takes over everything. How did that work for me to have somebody who made all the decisions without you know, bothering to ask me anything. Well, actually, I kind of, you know, was quite comfortable on those coattails. Until it didn't work for me. I didn't have to be responsible for anything. You know, I just kind of got swept up in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's until I can say that, then I can say to myself, is that worth it? Is that really how you want to be? Maybe Do you actually maybe want to step into being responsible for your own life? Do you actually want to be able to be, you know, do you want to... you know, be responsible for presencing your feelings, your needs. A lot of us, what we'll do, we'll lose power because we're afraid someone's going to leave us. And so we self-abandon all the time. And I think, you know, it, or, so we lack the courage to tell the truth. This is where we go. This is how sly victimization is. <laughs> this is very sly. So victimization will say, yeah, but I'm like that my mother never stood up for herself. My grandmother never stood. I kn- I can't stand up for myself. My father would beat my beat me, you know, smack me when I stood up for myself. So so we go into analyzing why we are the way that we are, as opposed to, and I'm an adult and I'm responsible for my own life and the integrity of my relationships, and you know, and, and, and if I'm, you know, we look if any of us resent our parents. You're not pissed off at them for what happened 30 years ago. You're, ha- you're pissed off for what happened 30 minutes ago because it just happened again. But that's not your parents. That's you. That's you not standing for yourself. That's you throwing yourself under the bus. And when you own it, then you begin to make a different choice and you can transform your relationships profoundly, and graduate from the patterns that you're struggling with.
1: I love what you said, too, and I talk about a lot of this in my class, too, so anyone here who knows, it was something you were saying, stop analyzing yourself and just step up, which I feel like we are of a generation, and not that there's anything wrong with understanding ourselves, but I feel like we are a generation that likes to talk about shit so much that it's almost like we start living within the pattern over and over again versus actually taking any responsibility to step into it.
4: Okay, you want me to really scare you?
1: Yes, love it.
4: (laughs) So this is the danger
1: of staying in the analyzing
4: your past, is that what we give our attention to grows. And if your attention is constantly on the traumatized self of your past, you become so identified with that self, there's no way out. And that's where we sit, uh, you know, talking about the same thing in therapy for year after year after year. I like to start with the future. I love that. I want to know who you are in the future fulfilled when you have your breakthrough.
2: I need to jump in on this really quick, too, because I think there's a, a, a little thing to add here as well. Because while I understand it's not important, to it's, it's, uh, we, it's, it's actually a disservice to continue being in the analyzation Um, And thinking about our trauma, what we know now neurologically, and, and this is why traditional talk therapy is not actually very useful in healing trauma, is that traditional talk therapy, we're really using the prefrontal cortex of our brain, which is our rational thought. And so we're thinking about our trauma, and we're talking about our trauma, and we're having a conversation about our trauma, but this is not where our trauma lives. The brain is smarter than that. When we experience traumatic events in our youth, and now too, um, the brain, so, and and we can define a traumatic event as any moment that I wasn't being nurtured. The brain doesn't store that memory here because if it did, I would probably be a a shell of a human at all times just in a constant trauma. Instead, the brain stores that memory in the back lower part of the brain called the amygdala. And that part of the brain is like a Pandora's box for those of us who may have experienced a lot of significant big T trauma, or the kind of trauma that's the death by a thousand cuts, kind of smaller, not being nurtured traumas. And so there's a difference between analyzing and talking about your trauma and actually processing your trauma. Mm -hmm. And finding methodologies like experiential therapy, which is very different from talk therapy, or EMDR, or even when we're doing in meditation, we know that we're starting to kind of open up that part of ourselves, which is why in meditation sometimes we get flashes of memories that can be really uncomfortable. It's also why often, if, you don't, if you're somebody who experienced a lot of trauma in your life, and you're somebody who you can maybe fall asleep, but then in the middle of the night you wake yourself up. You ever experienced that? And maybe somebody who doesn't sleep so well or doesn't see a sleep all night. What's happening when we're going to sleep at night is that the brain is trying to heal. And we drop into these deeper levels of healing throughout the night as we're sleeping, as we move into REM sleep. You ever done uh, uh, EMDR, anybody? Where you're doing that rapid eye movement, right? So what we're understanding, or what neurologists are starting to understand is that we actually move these traumatic memories, the way the brain neurology works is it moves traumatic memories out of this back lower part of the brain through that rapid eye movement into the prefrontal cortex to be released. So when you start going and when you're falling asleep and you start dropping into these deeper, lower levels of healing, in the fourth level of, of dropping in, you, the, you start to, the amygdala starts to open, to start to process those traumatic memories. If you have a lot of trauma stored there, the brain goes, because the brain can't tell the difference between what's happening in this moment and a memory that's arising, the brain goes, this is too much, wake her up, wake him up. Yeah, so there's a difference between being in the analyzation and talking about our trauma and actually finding ways to process that trauma. And a big thing that I'm hearing here as well is we have to go through this path of reparenting ourselves, of starting to step in, out of the victim of this just happened to me, to what am I gonna do about it now? Mm-hmm. How am I gonna change the pattern? How am I gonna change the behavior now? And I believe in you.
1: <laughs> right here. Thank you.
3: Hi, this is great because I'm doing that work right now with somatic experience and EMDR with an amazing therapist that used to work here, changed my life, but um, I'm still stuck and it's like the devil and the angel going through with my ex of was that really a soulmate or was that anxious attachment and I think from the research I've done is the feeling that you first get, the check marks are kind of the same in both.
6: Past life regressions, apparently he was in past lives and, you know, kind of gone through all that process, but still, am I really just going crazy? Was that just negative
3: attachment, or was it a soulmate, like you mentioned, that was brought to me to mirror to do the work? And I'm going through, like, all of those processes.
2: Do you... Are you aware of what his kind of attachment profile is? Oh, avoidant. Avoidant? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, could you... uh, do you know enough about narcissistic personality mm-hmm. disorder to you know Definitely if he's on has that spectrum? narcissistic traits. So if you're a trauma-informed ther- therapist, so let's say I am, I'm mm-hmm. not, but let's say I am, mm-hmm. and you come to me, right. and you share with me that you're severely depressed, potentially suicidal, the very first question that I'm trained to ask myself about you is where is the narcissist in this person's life? If this person is in heavy self-doubt depression, suicidality, my job is to figure out who made them feel this way. And so, it's, I, I don't know that I have a big answer for you other than to say, to be on the other side of a relationship with a narcissist. Right. If there was some gaslighting in there, if your intuition was saying something's off, something's off, and you were calling it out, and they didn't have the ability to sit with you in that moment and then maybe blamed you for that, mm-hmm. that's a very disorienting experience. And it's an experience in which we can start to feel that we can't trust ourselves, as Catherine was talking about earlier. And so, I don't know how to answer the question of, was that actually a soulmate, or... Is it what important
6: I, that there is an answer?
2: I don't know that there's an answer. And, right. and to be honest, I don't know, and you may disagree, but I don't know that the answer actually matters. That's what right. I was going to say. To me, yep. what matters is that you're on a healing journey right. to take that self-responsibility so that you no longer ever again, as we say, paint the red flags white.
3: So do the unconscious coupling. <laughs>
2: right. Thank you. Let's move it. Someone back. We'll go straight
6: back. I just wanted to add, um, well, not to add, but kind of like um, what some of the uh, points were. When you say to step up and accept responsibility, I was dealing with something six months ago, and so um, something that feels like a soulmate connection, but dysfunctional relationship, so I decided to severe, and so my uh, approach is always to meditate through it, right? So I got all this... um, meditation uh, on YouTube about how to tie, uh, severe ties, whatever, and there was this one hour meditation about basically you go through it and it walks you, walks you and then it says, oh who broke your heart, whatever, and I sat in it and I was waiting for all these people come that I'm gonna blame, you know, you broke my heart, and you broke my heart, and you did this and I realized that actually I broke my heart, none of these people came It was me because I made the decision to stay or to accept or to ignore and whatever. And when they tell you, oh, forgive the person who broke your heart, you actually have to forgive yourself. So not only you take responsibility, but I think it's also important to forgive yourself because sometimes we think we have to forgive all these people that hurt us and these other people are holding us back from moving forward. But sometimes you really have to forgive yourself. First of all. What, I,
4: what I want to say about self-forgiveness is that it, it, it will require an amends moving forward.
6: Like how do you mean?
4: So self-forgiveness, so let's say, you know, you take responsibility for having given your power away or tolerated abuse. You, you, you turned away from the red flags, you tolerated abuse, and you allowed yourself to get beaten down. And you can forgive yourself for that. But what will really complete it, you know, when we've suffered, we have to either create an amends of equal or greater value in order to really be complete with something. So the amends is going to be from this moment forward. I will notice the red flags. I will speak up. I will set a boundary, and if if the other person does not respect it, I will stop investing in the relationship. Right. Right, that would be the amends to self. If you were really hurt and devastated and shattered, you might actually then need to start teaching that to other people who have the same problem and make something good of it. That's how we complete deep pain is we make it into an offering of goodness.
6: Okay.
4: You have to transform it. Good.
1: Anyone else? On that? oh. yeah. like, that's then then your next book. Nicole will go. To, yeah. It's what Conscious Uncoupling. Yeah. Okay. So they wanted, someone asked for you to elaborate on that, and then I'm sending the mm-hmm. mic to Marissa while you're mm-hmm. elaborating.
4: Um, I think it's very important to find a way to not just survive the things that happen to us, but to understand or contextualize every disappointment, every heartbreak, every setback, as, um, as, as, as food for soul growth, as the opportunity to grow our character, as the way that wisdom is born and compassion takes root, that's how depth is carved in the center of our souls. And to be able then to transform the energy of that into then something that we then pay forward, uh, first in our own lives and then also as a way of
3: helping other people who've suffered greatly. You know. It gives you worth and value too, and gives the experience worth and value. So then there's life force in it or forward flow, instead of it being of lack or emptiness that then will be created again. So it's adding great worth, which is this a lot about power and all of that.
4: A lot of the people who come to become conscious uncoupling coaches, that's what they're doing. They're finding a way to pay that pain forward, so that they're 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 not just stuck with the residue of, of the pain, but they're they're making it into something beautiful for others.
3: Great alchemy. It's really exponential from there. Marissa? Um, Yeah,
4: Catherine, you said something. um, Possibility feels light. And I thought those words
1: were quite interesting. Um, Because when I think of soulmate, I also think it could be somebody who's there to teach us a lesson. Um, Lessons aren't always fun or light. And so I'm wondering if, whether we're looking for a life partner
4: or a soulmate or... Should it come with ease? Well, I think, you know, when I talked about we're starting from the future backwards, you have a say in how your relationships are going to go, and they don't have to be the relationships you saw growing up, and they don't even have to be the relationships that you've had in the past. You can start with, you know, let's imagine that life came and waved a magic wand. You know, God was having a great day, and she decided to bless you with, you know, just the, you know, you're going to win the lottery and, and find, like, the perfect person for you. And what are the qualities in that connection? And you get, and, and you're, you're well informed, maybe, from, what w- from, from love's absence. I think we learn more about love from the absence of love then sometimes we love from le- learn from the presence of love. So when you're when you're looking for a relationship, you say, "Well, I want to feel like this. I want to feel safe. I want to feel seen. I want to feel heard. I want to feel nourished. I want to, you know, I want to laugh from the center of my soul. I want to have fun. I want to feel inspired." Right. So you're kind of in your visioning. You're you're in that visioning place. And um, and, the, and the biggest block to that is that we don't believe we can have that, so we don't let ourselves want something. Right? so, and so that's and so the, the work can get very deep. I, I work v- usually at the level of identity, and I like to name the identity. So if you're going into pain, because you can't actually hold that vision, I like to say, what well, where is that in your body? What's the I am?" like I am alone? I am unwanted, I am not loved, there's some I am. It's an identity, because wherever we're centered at the, at the level of identity is where we are creating our lives from. So then here's the key question to that. How old are you, sweetheart? No, no, no. In that moment where you have no possibility You turn towards that. What's the I am? I am alone. Uh, Love is for other people, not for me. And you have to ask, honey, how old are you? Okay, And then you start with your relationship with you. You say, honey, you're not alone. I'm right here. I love you. You're not unlovable. I love you. You're not unwanted. I want you. I want to be you. Out of all the people on the planet, I chose to be you. Right? So you have to get, you have to stop believing everything you feel. Very important. You have to stop. Because beliefs are not like some tape that you're running in your mind. Beliefs are the emotional center of of that conversation. And when we have a lot of... You know, and, and the way out, and then you're going to say, "Oh yeah, but I've had so much evidence that that story is true. Well, then we go back to self, the source. Well, how have I been generating it? How have I been generating it? Because we're kind of victimized, like somehow it's our psychology, or somehow it's our fate, or how many of you believe that it's your astrological sign to be." <laughs> alone. Okay, so we have like all these external reasons. There's so much freedom to say, how have I generated my own aloneness today? And, and what's really true? Well, the truth about aloneness is I have the power to learn how to create meaningful, rich, loving connections. I have the power to do that. And I choose to do that now because it is my destiny to be loved. That's why I have this desire. So when you're anchored into that sense of possibility, then desire becomes a tool of creativity. That's how we find our way to that future. It's hard, those of us who can't feel the desire, you just know you're over identified with the self from the past. And that's why, again, we we go to the self of the future. Who are you in that future? This is so radically transformative that I've been focusing most of my energies on this very thing. Because these identities are very predictable, and they limit what's possible for us. But they limit, beca- they limit us because they inform the choices we're making and the actions we're taking, and it's really rigged for us to actually stay in that story. And so I like to say, who are you outside of the story? What does love look like for you outside of that story? It's like we're when we're overly identified with the identities from the traumatized self. It's like we're we're it's like we're living in a, a little teacup, when who we are really is the whole universe, but we're calling ourselves this teacup.
3: <laughs> I want to add here, if I sure. can, if you've ever and what is her name? What is she? Will you Marissa? hold that? What is your name? Marissa. Marissa. Hi, Marissa. Jill. Sometimes if you can think about, too, what is your true nature, what's your nature? Because sometimes... and Have you ever thought about that? Because sometimes my soulmate is here, I'm going to teach you something. Could be something that a parent said to you. I'm going to teach you a lesson and you loved him, and it could be positive or negative. Some of that language could be deep in your psyche and your identity. So sometimes we teach... Identity or first energy centers, I am feeling is I feel, and then the worth or the power is I will. So you can write that down for yourself I am this, I feel this, I will this, or the reverse I will this, I feel this. Oh, they didn't get that. <laughs> you want me to repeat it? No, no. <laughs> But sometimes what we identify as a soulmate is we loved a mom and dad or grandparent and positive or, quote, negative, it's ingrained us. We might not even remember because we were so little. I will teach you a lesson. If it was a strong way they said it, in a loving way, or in a, I'm going to teach you a lesson by spanking you, or I'm going to teach you a lesson and you're sitting there going, but you're my soulmate. I love you. Or you're my first love. That gets ingrained. And then we're adults saying, well, this is what soulmate means when maybe you're through nature, your wholeness, or your universal expansion does not quite believe that anymore. Maybe, but also maybe not. So it's in your nature and your wholeness. Just food for thought.
1: We're gonna take one last question. We'll go to the girl in green back there.
7: Hello. Uh, First of all, I wanted to thank you all for everything. (laughs) And I do have a question, I promise, but I wanted to share something with Catherine. I read your book twice. Um, I confess that I didn't do all the exercises, (laughs) but um, I read it uh, a couple, a year and a half before I met my deepest soulmate. And um, the last time I read it was uh, after our breakup. Um, And I actually read about two, three pages to him over the phone when I was trying to convince him that it's best for me to just walk away. And in fact, that was what convinced him to understand that he wants to be with me. He wants to work it out. And um, I don't know why I all of a sudden I have an accent. I don't usually have an accent, but <laughs> I'm channeling something, I don't know what. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, I'm <laughs> do I have an accent? Sorry guys. Okay, <laughs> I promise this is going somewhere. Um, so I'm just absorbing all the energies. Um, so he he went to his medium and he's like, "Oh my God, we have to work this out because I realized why I I I couldn't commit to you because it was so good and I've never had it this good and it, it's so good it scared me and I just you know you you gave me everything that no one ever you know I I get I got this from this person and this person and so. It was so good that it scared me, and and I just I now I realize the work that I have to do, and and my medium said that you're my life partner, and that that you're you know I, I can marry you and spend, anyway, so the long story short, your book, <laughs> um, reading that over the phone, um, it helped um, him him realize something, and it helped me, really just realized that, yes, I could choose to do this, but he's not ready. And so in a way, I'm kind of um, resonating with what the other ladies were saying um, or asking. Uh, he was the greatest gift, the greatest pain and the greatest gift. And to resonate with what you were offering, um, I went through such pain that I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. Um, It forced me to turn completely inwards and work through all the wounds that were triggered that I thought I had healed. And so from that, um, I went through therapy, I went through EMDR, I went through really deep healing, and and healing, um, theta healing actually saved my life, and so I became a healer. And so my gift is now multiplying because I'm able to heal other people. And so, um, and I'm writing a book also. So thank you for that, you're an inspiration. And so the quote that I recently wrote is that, the gift of your heartbreak is greater than its pain. Um, So I do have a question. I I promised I did have a question, sorry. (laughs) Um, Divine timing um, and free will. So. I trust in divine timing, but we always have free will. So your future can change at any moment based on the actions that you take in the present. Um, So I know that when you wrote this book, um, you wrote it after you had already lived through the experience. Um, I'm just curious. Was there divine timing involved? Because I know you had uh, a certain manifestation, and you went to the silent retreat, and you had to have the closure that you had. But was there a divine timing? Did you feel that that was at play? That's a great question.
4: You know, for, for any of us who want to set an intention and actually have a say in how our lives are going, this shall be so. I'm going to double my income within the next year, right? Or I'm going to become the healthiest I've ever been in the next six months. Right, so I'm going to call in the one by my next birthday, which is where the whole thing began with calling in the one because I took that stand when I was uh, 41, by or 40, or 41. I'm going to by my 42nd birthday. I'm going to be engaged, which was a ludicrous thing to say. <laughs> I had no prospects. It was eight months out, <laughs> and my but my friend said something really smart to me that changed everything. She said, "I'm." Going to stand with you to hold that intention with you and for you, if you give me permission to hold you accountable for being the woman you would need to be, in order for that to happen. That is a good
1: friend, isn't
4: that great? So, th- so then it shifted from I've got to run out and just find a husband to you know I need to become the woman I would need to be. And then that shifted me into self-responsibility. So even though it looks like I've been miserable for years being single, you know, how does it work for me? Like, what's what's the payoff? Well, it wasn't start, you know hard to answer that question when I started to see it. Well, actually, I don't really want to be dominated by someone else's needs. And actually, I don't really want to risk being hurt again. Thank you very much. So you start to see that, and then you can start to negotiate that, you know, with some consciousness, and what could I put in so that I would, you know, minimize the uh, minimize hurt. Well, maybe I'll, maybe if I do have some boundaries, or maybe if I start to learn how to assess character a little better, or you know, you start to 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 figure out where to go from here. So I I don't know. I think we can bend spoons. I think we've been given the gift of creation. I was told by. Um, by uh, several people, uh, particularly a numerologist in particular, I'd never be a mother. and that just pissed me off to no end. I was not okay with that. And I argued with the universe about it, and I took a stand and and then I gave birth to my daughter when I was forty three. and and I just I just took a stand. you know, it's like we, you, you stand on a mountain, this shall be so this shall be so, what would I need to give up to become who I'd need to be? What would I need to let go of in my life? What would I need to begin to cultivate and learn? And frankly, I started mothering whoever God gave me to love. I'll mother my plants. I'll mother the neighbor's kids. I'll start to, because I took a stand for being a mother, and now I'm the mother of two, because I I gave birth to one daughter, and then she had a best friend in high school whose mother abandoned her, and we fell completely in love, and her dad is really sick, so I just started being her mom. And now she calls me mom, and I am her mom. Like, I'm really her mom. Like, we've kind of adopted each other. So now I have two daughters, right? So it's like, what are you standing for? And that's what I said. Like, be more interested in your future, You know, do the work in the past, but contextualize it with who you need to be in order to fulfill upon all of the possibilities that you came here to fulfill upon. You are not your history. You are not limited by the traumas that happened to you. Your past does not define what's possible for you in love. You do in this moment by the stand that you take. And that's why I love you. And I love you too, Michael.
1: Thank you. That's a perfect way to end. You guys, thank you for being... Yes, please. Okay,
4: two ways, two invitations. For those of you who who are here because you're expanding your capacity to love and be loved, if you go to CatherineWoodwardThomas.com, you can sign up for the Love Out Loud daily. I give free teachings where I'm teaching wisdom teachings three times a week. I send them to you. They're short, but they're poignant. They're to the point. And really, really going deep. I also want to just let you guys know I have a live workshop. It might be the only one I do this year up in San Francisco, March nineteenth through the twenty second. True dot com. That's Event dot com. And if you forget that, just go to Thomas dot com, and it's there. I'd love to see you guys there. It's gonna. We're going we're, we're working with identity, actually transforming identity and waking you up out of the trance of the meaning that you made when you were a child or of the meaning that your, your whole lineage has been inside of so that you can actually create the love that you're longing to create in your life.
1: Thank you. Talk about how they can connect with you guys too. Just quickly give your info. Instagram, Jill underscore Willard, and we have I am for intuitive
3: meditation and present program for EQ
2: I'm at waking up with Ryan on Instagram as well and uh, have some fun stuff going on but it will all be up on there.
1: You guys are amazing.
2: Um, my website is wakingupwithryan.com there's a place where you can enter in your email as well.
3: Joewillard.com, i am community. Dot, or yeah i am community.com and uh, the present Thank you guys. Let's give them Thank a big
1: you. round of applause. <laughs> Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people. Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Talks podcast, and join us there.